Good morning, everyone. It's great to be here this morning, isn't it? We must be getting famous in Newbridge if they're coming all the way from Slovakia to, to church. It's great, isn't it? Well, I've loved looking at uh, this series on the names of God. I think whether we're inquiring for the first time who Jesus is, or whether we've been following him for many years, uh, there's no better way, is there, for us to go deeper than to understand more of God's character, more of who God is, and what that means for us. Well, this morning, um, our name that we're looking at is Jehovah Makadesh. Now, you might be thinking, uh, I've never heard that, and you'd be quite forgiven. <laughs> but if you've been coming to church for any length of time, you'll be very familiar with its meaning. It's a theme that we preach about, we sing about, and we read about in the Bible all the way through from start to finish. Jehovah Makadesh means the Lord who makes you holy. The Lord, your holiness. You know, our God is holy. If I gave you a few seconds just to describe God's holiness, I wonder what words you'd pick. These are some that I found. Supreme, pure, above all, unstained, untainted, unique, set apart. God's holiness is often compared in its uniqueness to the sun, that powerful source of pure light, irradiating energy so overwhelming that it can actually be dangerous to approach. In the same way, our God, he's pure light and life. And darkness and death just, just can't be with him. You know, God's holiness is just, it's literally beyond any words uh, that we could think of. The religious Jews, even today, they won't even say his name aloud because it's too holy to be spoken. No wonder in the book of Exodus it says, Who is like you? Majestic in holiness and awesome in splendor. And today, as we think about holiness, we're just going to take that little phrase, set apart to help us understand what holiness is, the fact that God is set apart and we are set apart. So where does this name uh, Jehovah Makadesh actually come from? Well, you'll find it in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus is an interesting book. I'm sure it's scuppered many people's attempts to read the Bible in a year. <laughs> It's loaded with laws around moral purity. But its central question, the question at the heart of Leviticus is, how can a holy God reside with his people? Not how can they earn God's love. He's already chosen them. He's entered into a covenant relationship with them. He's rescued them from Egypt and he's taken them to the promised land. But now he's given them instructions about how they can consecrate their lives to God. And as God tells them what he wants them to do, he says this, so set yourselves apart to be holy, 
for I am the Lord your God who makes you holy. So God is telling them that just as he is holy, he set apart, so too they, they are to be holy and set apart. And right since the beginning of time through Moses, uh, Gareth has just mentioned, Joshua, Judges, the prophets, the kings, God constantly reminds his people that they are to be set apart to God, set apart to a holy God. But what's absolutely incredible for us this morning is that now we are God's people. We are God's people and God has taken us and he set us apart. He set you apart this morning. He set me apart. He's made us holy. Now you might think in, I don't know if I'm very keen on that word, holy. It doesn't sound very appealing. In fact, it sounds a bit remote, a bit frightening. <laughs> At best, it, sounds, it can sound boring, as if you've signed up your life to a life of dullness. And at worst, it can sound a bit controlling, uh, perhaps legalistic or hypocritical. But you know, holiness is too important a word for us to abandon. So what exactly does it mean for us? Well, this morning, I'd like to look at three things that I think it means for us. And the first one is holiness is about God transforming us. Spiritual formation isn't actually just a Christian thing. It's a human thing. We're all being transformed into something every minute of every day. The question is, who are we becoming? I read this story recently of a lady over 60 years ago who decides to have a sort out of her wardrobe. And as she does, her little boy is playing around her on the bedroom floor. She comes across an old green, shabby, worn-out coat. She drops it on the floor, ready to be thrown out. But through the corner of, her, of his eye, the little boy clocks the coat. And ever since he's been born, he's watched his grandmother sewing and making things. And he runs off and gets the coat. He looks for his scissors and starts cutting it up. Cuts loads of random bits and bits and pieces of different shapes and different sizes. And then he goes off to get a needle and asks his mother if she'll thread it for him. And the boy starts sewing together these random bits of green material. Weeks later, he finishes his creation with two ping pong balls. Any idea what he made? Yeah. Kermit the Frog. <laughs> 1955, Kermit the Frog becomes famous from that little boy. You know, and just as that little boy created Kermit the Frog, so God transforms his people. The message of the gospel is that he takes ordinary people, just like you and just like me, just like that old green battered coat, and God changes us into something beautiful. You know, with the topic of holiness, it's holding two things in tension. 
I've been thinking a lot about this this week. <laughs> First, through Jesus dying on the cross and us accepting him into our lives, we're already holy. He's already set us apart. The Bible said he's clothed us in white robes. Are you glad this morning that God's done that for us? But at the same time, holiness is a daily transformation because he wants us to grow more like him every day. You know, my job uh, was working with children with additional learning needs. And the hard part of my job was if I had to explain to the parents that the children were not reaching their educational targets. But what was tragic was that sometimes I had to share with them that they weren't reaching their developmental targets and that a referral to a medic was necessary. You know, it's absolutely heartbreaking for a parent to hear that their child is not growing or developing as, as expected. And you know, it's like that with God. We, we break his hearts when we as children, when we fail to develop and grow. God's intention for all of us is that we grow. He wants us to grow more like him, just like we get excited, don't we, as our baby grows and, and looks like us. And one of the ways that God wants us to grow is in holiness. You know, and the best part for us is that we're living at an incredible time in history. You know, in the Old Testament, God's presence was confined to one place, to the tabernacle or the temple. But now, God, through the Holy Spirit, he lives in us. We are his temple. He lives in you this morning. He lives in me. It's amazing, isn't it? So instead of holiness feeling like this remote, distant idea, it's now accessible. It's possible. Holiness is a, is a big topic with many, many aspects to it. But I'd like to highlight one under this heading of transformation this morning that I think is key. And it's about changing the way we think. Romans 12 verse 2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing you, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. You know, this verse tells us that God changes us by changing the way we think, by renewing our minds. The Bible talks about the power of our mind and our thoughts quite a lot. And as I just looked into this, um, I noticed that it often uses like vocabulary of warfare, like fighting and battles when it talks about our mind. It's hard for us, isn't it, to change the way we think. Our minds are very powerful, aren't they? Anyone ever had any sleepless nights worrying? Anyone ever jumped to the worst case scenario in your mind? It's 
especially when we're waiting for our children to drive home. But you know, what goes on in our mind actually shapes us. It determines who we are. And God wants us to manage our mind. You know, every thought that comes into our mind, there's a choice. Do we entertain it or do we disregard it? And ultimately, good actions always begin with good thoughts. And bad actions begin with bad thoughts. If we don't think it, we don't do it. As it says in Proverbs 23 verse 7, as someone thinks within himself, so he is. And Paul, in the book of Philippians, he tells us what we should think about. Whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. I don't know about you, but I have lots of battles. And you know, whatever our struggles are about, we can struggle about so many things, can't we? Might be honesty, inferiority, jealousy, materialism, gluttony. But you know, our battles are won or lost in the mind. I don't know if you've ever spent time thinking about your thoughts, or maybe I've just got too much time on my hands. But the next time an unhealthy thought creeps in, just pay attention to how you think. Um, I was just thinking, say for example, that I've got a wrong attitude towards somebody. Because I'm sure we've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there when perhaps somebody has hurt us and maybe we're struggling with, to forgive them. But look, pay attention to what can happen in your mind at that point. We can have a tendency, can't we, to keep thinking and thinking about the person who's hurt us. We can go over and over and over an incident in our mind. We can analyze everything that was said. We can question people's motives. And we can end up in inner turmoil. And before you know it, you know, you start perhaps avoiding the person or resentment. You can feel it within you building up. Why is that? It's because our thinking has affected our behavior. And you know what we're doing? We're justifying an unforgivable attitude. You see, so often our thinking is horizontal, isn't it? We're, we're looking at each other rather than it being vertical and thinking where we live by the example of Jesus. It's so easy for us to be caught up in that, in so many things in life where we're looking at each other. We can almost justify anything, can't we, by looking at each other. So easy for us to think, well, I'm not, like, I'm not as bad as that. But we should be looking up to the example that Jesus sets. So holiness is God transforming us. God has transformed us, you know. He's set us apart. He's changed us. 
But one of the ways he does that is by renewing our minds. But you know, the choice is always ours. Will we partner with him and allow him to change us? Will we allow ourselves to grow more like him in holiness? The second point uh, in relation to holiness that I'd like us to think about is that God sets us free. You know, freedom is something everybody wants. We all love the idea, don't we, of being free. But freedom means different things to different people. Today, we are celebrating freedom from our masks. (laughs) But for the people in Ukraine, freedom this morning is something very different. As they are struggling and fighting for their lives and their country. You might have heard the phrase recently used in church, freedom in Christ. So I want to look at what does that biblical freedom, what does freedom in Christ actually mean? Galatians 5 verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. You know, the Bible describes a life without Jesus as being in bondage and in slavery. But that our lives with Jesus are free. We've been singing it this morning, haven't we? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. You know, as Christians, we, we love to celebrate the fact that God has forgiven our sins and we're grateful, aren't we, that all we've done is no longer held against us. We remember him and we thank him. We're going to be doing this a little bit later in our service this morning, remembering all that he did for us on the cross. But in a way, that's only half the story. Because the freedom Jesus offers is not just forgiveness of our sins, but freedom from our sins. I've been reading a book that someone bought me for Christmas. And it's talking about the changes in the Western world over the last 50 years. It's been an interesting read, for sure. It was explaining the shift in society that we've seen. And it was suggesting that we've gone from a culture of authority, where people knew what was right and wrong from an external source, maybe the government or our parents, or the Bible. And this author was suggesting that we've gone to a culture of authenticity where the plumb line for what's right and wrong is internal. Where if it feels good, then I can do it. The book talked about the different challenges that each generation has faced. And it suggested that today, The biggest challenge this generation faces, that we face now, is self. It's ironic that biblical freedom is actually a life of submission. It's laying down our autonomy and our right to control our own lives, and it's giving it up to Jesus. It's when we choose to orientate our whole lives around him then we are choosing a life of holiness. 
You know, sometimes we can have enough faith to believe and to be saved from our sins, but maybe not quite enough to fully surrender our lives to Jesus. And we often can end up wandering between the two in no man's land. I don't know if you've ever climbed Penavan, uh, the mountain, not the pond. <laughs> but you know, as you're walking up that mountain, just as you are climbing up and you think you've reached your end goal, you look across and there's another peak inside. And that's what it's like for us. You know, forgiveness of sins is not our end goal. There's another goal in sight. And that is full surrender of our lives to Jesus. When we surrender our lives, we learn and we know what God wants for us is best. You know, sometimes we can think that perhaps God doesn't understand us or doesn't want what's best for us. It doesn't, you know, we can't always feel it at the time. But you know, he does. He knows what's best for me, better than I know myself. And freedom in Christ is not just permission to do what we want, but it's power to do what is good and what is right. You know, we all in different ways have tried to improve ourselves over the years, haven't we? Whether it's through seminars or conferences, health clubs, diets, or reading self-help books. But when the enthusiasm runs out, we find ourselves back in the same rut, don't we? Because the problem is with all these things, they can't give us the power to do it. They can't give us the power to live it out and maintain it. So where can we get power from? Well, the New Testament mentions that word power 57 times. And it's used to describe the most powerful event in history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that the most important thing in our life is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And the good news for us today is this power is available is still available to change our lives today. You know, the Greek word for power there is, is a word called dunamis. And it can be translated two ways. It can be dynamite, like that explosive force. Or it could be dynamo, which is a constant flow of power. And in Jesus, we've got both. He can break the chains that hold us, but he can also help us walk victoriously in his power every single day. Through Jesus, we have the power to stay free and live a life of transformation. You know, if you're like me, we still struggle to live this out. We still got battles and we, it's hard sometimes to surrender control of our lives. At times we still think we know best and we mess up, don't we? But you know, following Jesus is a calling. It's a way of life. 
It's what our journey into holiness is all about. And as we make that daily choice to surrender to a holy God, the one who's completely devoted to making us holy, is so worth it. It might be tough at times, but it's so worth it. And ultimately, it's the greatest freedom we'll ever know. So thirdly, and lastly, and number three, holiness is God reflected through us. You know, I personally think that nothing is more attractive to those who don't know Jesus than a life of holiness. People may not be queuing up to come into church. They may not be interested in hearing the gospel preached. But I really believe that deep down there's a longing for something different and something more. I don't know if as you look back you can see any positives in COVID. But I think one of the positives I've noticed is that it's given people a chance to think about their lives and about their priorities in life. Many don't want to go back into the office, nationally and even globally. You know, Matthew doesn't want to go into the office. <laughs> nationally and even globally, we're hearing lots of talk about hybrid working, flexible hours, a four-day working week, aren't we? Maybe there's an awakening. Maybe people are starting to think they want more than the struggle for wealth, success, and status. The rat race, the endless cycle of bed to work, maybe is becoming less attractive. What an opportunity for us. What an opportunity. You know, if ever there was a time for the church to wake up and radically pursue holiness, it's now. For the sake of this generation. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> if ever there was a time for the church to wake up and radically pursue holiness, it's now. For the sake of this generation. It's been said that out of 100 people, one will read the Bible and 99 will read the Christian. I wonder what they read about Jesus in your life and in my life. The challenge for us is how well are we reflecting Jesus? You know, when Jesus lived on earth, he offered something that was radically different that stood out in contrast to the culture of the day. People need something different. I read this quote. Um, it's a quote from Francis Chan that says, something is wrong when our lives make sense to unbelievers. You know we're different, aren't we? We're transformed. We're set apart. We're a holy people. There's a sense in which our lives don't quite make sense to those who don't know Jesus. And sharing the gospel is not just running parents and toddlers or, or even preaching. People need to see proof of a life-changing gospel. 
They need to see it in me. They need to see it in you. In our community, our, our colleagues, our friends and our neighbors, they need to see that God has transformed us, that he set us free. We've been singing about it, haven't we, this morning? He set us free. We are chosen, not forsaken. They need to see it. They need to see that living for Jesus and not for self is the most rewarding life on earth. Jesus himself said in John 10.10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. I'm just going to ask the band if they'll come back up. I don't know if you can remember the last time you attended a funeral. But have you ever noticed what people say when they are paying tribute to somebody after they've died? They talk about things like the person's love, compassion, their loyalty to their family, their good friendship, their humility, their patience. It's interesting, isn't it, that it's their character that they choose to celebrate and honor. And often ways that they've sacrificed self. You know, ultimately, when, when all is said and done, this is what's important in them. These are the things that people will remember. The life of sacrificing self for full surrender to Jesus is the very best way for us to reflect Jesus to those around us. So, our God is a holy God. He's Jehovah Makadesh. He's the God who makes you holy. And as we pursue a life of holiness, he transforms us. He sets us free. And Jesus is reflected through us to those around. I wonder what our lives, what revived church, what new bridge would look like if we seriously pursued a life of holiness. Amen.